Well, thank you guys. Appreciate it, all the wonderful worship. We're going to turn our attention now to the scriptures. We're going through 1 Corinthians, and we're going to land in chapter 6 this morning. I invite you to grab a Bible or follow along on the screens. Um, it's an exciting time to be with you in the life of the church. Uh, if you were not here last week, you missed a couple big announcements, um, two announcements, but you, you made it to the right place, so you must know something. Um, the two announcements, the first one that we made is that we're going to be continuing in this one united worship form going forward. And the second is that we are also discerning, and we need each and every one of you to help us in this process of discernment um, as, we, uh, as we look to the Lord and his wisdom to see if he has in mind that we might join with Coastline Covenant Church and become one church together. Um, yeah, you can clap, that's great. Um, I wanna thank each and every one of you for your questions, for your encouragement, for your prayers and your process as we do this together. We had a really a wonderful uh, uh, week last week to process together. Um, both churches coming together, just sort of talking about how the announcement went and what the Lord is doing in our midst. In fact, we did a little podcast together to kind of tell the story, the spiritual story of how all of this came together. And so that's going to uh, be released online pretty soon. And I'd love for you to hear that, just kind of hear from their pastors and from our side and how at least we're in this moment of discernment and how God us God got us uh, to this place. And so if you didn't know, also our sermon series is also tracking with coastlines doing the same sermon series. It took a while for us to catch up to them, but we're now in the, the same sermon series on the same thing, on the same themes as we sort of try and grow and discern and do things together. With that, let me pray and we'll dive into the text this morning. Lord Jesus, I pray that uh, you would get me out of the way that uh, that you would do your work, do the work that only you can do in St. Andrews today. God, I pray that you would bless us with your presence uh, to convict us where we need to be convicted, um, to encourage us where we need to be encouraged, and ultimately, Lord, to receive this good news of what it means to be with you and to know you and to be joined together with you. Lord, may it change the way that we think and act and feel and deal with one another. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to be starting at verse 12, going to verse 20. It says this, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will be mastered by, I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. 
Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. As we've been talking about in this series, we're really trying to uh, do our best to not look at human wisdom as our only guide for how we make choices, but to really look at God's wisdom and let that be our north star for how we would make all decisions in our life. And I'm sure as you read, you saw, hey, we're going to talk about one of the most sensitive personal areas of any human being's life, which is this, uh, this area of human sexuality, right? And we see here that there is some really wrong thinking that's happening in the life of this church in Corinthians. So I just want to work through some things here so we can really understand what Paul is trying to teach this church about human sexuality and then ultimately about who they are because of how they are now joined with Christ as the body of Christ and the good news of the gospel that uh, comes out of that reality. So first, I think when we look at verse 12, what we need to do is to see how Paul is teaching on freedom. And we as Americans have this word all over the place, right? We have a version of what freedom means in our minds. That might be a good thing to conjure up right now. Just what is your definition of freedom? And we've heard it a lot, but we need to ask, right? If we are free to do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, and we just chase that rabbit trail, do we end up in a place that we would define as truly free? And yet, of course, we know that we're allowed to do a lot of things. We have freedom to do a lot of things, but if we chase just our unchecked desires wherever they may lead us, does it take us to the place that we want to be? And would we define that place as free, or would we define that in some other way. This is really Paul's looking at this Corinthian church. He's seeing the influences of the wisdom, the, the wisdom, the Sophia wisdom of the Greek culture that has been elevated as if it were the king of everything, as if it was the sole guiding force, this great intellect. And the belief was, and, and let's teach for a second here, this word that you might call uh, Gnosticism, or what they call pre-Gnosticism, was what was happening in this Greek culture, where they thought that they could be so intellectual, 
so driven by their mind that they could actually separate out their body. And that what their, their mind did didn't affect their body, and what their body did didn't affect their mind. And so there was this real compartmentalization that was happening in this church. And so Paul, observing this church, has seen how the decision-making that has come out of this way of thinking, this human wisdom has left this church in some really dysfunctional situations and behaviors, some really terrible behaviors that we would deem now even as really awful. In fact, earlier in the text, we see uh, that there's a toleration of incest happening in the life of the church. And here we see that it was thought to be okay by some, that some could join together in, in this uh, ritual of going uh, and joining oneself with ritual prostitution in the Greek temples. And then that was okay to do, and it was also okay to go to church. Or later in the text, we're going to see some interesting thoughts on how Stoicism had led men to want to be abstinent even though they were married. And so there's just all kinds of thinking going on and variance and different decisions make, made around human sexuality. And so there's really this sense by which this church is lost. It does not have a north star, some guiding principle that allows for it to find the health that it would desire. And so all of this chaotic uh, dysfunction is influencing the church and affecting the church. In essence, we might say uh, this to the Corinthian church, or, or Paul might say this to them. He'd say, you think you're in control, but in reality, you are in the back seat. And your desires are driving you into oncoming traffic. Or worse, they are leaving you totally isolated and alone. You think you have a hold of it because you're so clever. But in reality, it has a hold of you. You see, this is, this is where the logic is being flipped on its head in verse 12. Because there was a declaration that was popular in the Corinthian church. I have the right to do anything. But then Paul takes that phrase and he says, but I will, be I will not be mastered by anything. Here he just takes the wisdom and he flips it on its head and says, look at where you have ended up. Is this really the place that you want to be? So what we need to do this morning, just for a second, is really look at our desire, right? This God-given human desire. And ask the question, do we look in this place? Do we look in this department of our life and say, God, what do you want for it? Because it can be real tempting when things are complicated and messy around our sexuality because the reality is that's just part of what it means to be alive and be human is that when we hit bumps in the road, 
that when we have failure in this department, that we start wanting to give up on any real standard or any real belief that God has an ordered desire for our sexuality, and it becomes easy to just give up and say, this is too hard, I don't want to do it anymore. But the risk there is that if you give up the North Star, if you give up thinking about what is right for how God has given you this desire, then you're going to end up in places you do not want to be. Living out of an unintentioned, unconscious, piecemeal, culture-driven view of what human sexuality is. And so we have to, again, this morning ask, in this department, in this personal place, have I looked to God's wisdom and asked, God, how would you want me to deal with my sexuality? One thing that we we really see in this text is that whatever the Greek culture or maybe our culture would want to take out of human sexuality, that it isn't important, that it isn't meaningful, that you can deal with it however you want to deal with it. It's just not true, and we know it. Intrinsically, we know that sexuality is meaningful, that it has a purpose, and it has a right place to belong. And so the invitation from Paul is to reorient the church around a new reality, a gospel reality, because we cannot understand the meaning of our human desire until we understand the story that we are living in and what we are living for and where our desire is built to go and to do. Now, one of the other correctives here we just got to touch on for a sec is just this sense of uh, this voice within the church that has existed for a long time and is well-intentioned that just says, you know what, you just need to do the good Christian thing to do, and you don't really need to pay attention to your desires at all or think that they're meaningful or, or that you actually have them, but we all know that that just creates a denial, and that denial then surfaces in all kinds of bad behavior, bad thinking, or even sometimes we get this message like, hey, if you just deny your sexual desire, then in the future, God will have something for you that's perfect and it'll all work out. And we also know that that is not the promise here. The promise here is something more than that. That if you consider your sexuality before God, that God can create health an integration and make you whole and a full person and you can live rightly in his rhythms and that if you live rightly within his rhythms that you will find the joy of life that you're looking for, the delight in life that you are looking for. And we know that we're not going to find that every day and we may wake up some days feeling real discouraged, but if we have a North Star that we're trying to look to, to guide us, then over time, as we try again, fail again, fail better, we will grow more healthy. And we will begin to desire what God desires, and we will reorient our desires towards the health that God desires for us. And 
And of course, God is trying to do this with an entire church. And we know even in Scripture, the story of the great leaders of the Hebrew people and the Old Testament and their failures in this department. And so we recognize that there's a lot of mess going on. And yet, hear the words of declaration, even in the midst of this great mess that is happening in this church about who they are in Christ. The first one he says is, don't you know that your body is connected to Jesus' body? Now, how many of us, when we look in the mirror in the, mor- in the morning and are just observing what's going on, say, this body is connected to Jesus' body? Probably not very many of us, right? We're very self-conscious in the way we think. We're very uh, just probably just thinking as much out of our human wisdom as possible early in the morning. And, and yet there's this way by if we just invited Jesus Uh, into the picture and this perspective from Paul as we look in the mirror, there's this way in which we would discover new things about our body. And we do realize them over time, that God gave us breath. He gave us the ability to run and sing and to play. Watching my seven-year-old boy yesterday in in a battle, an epic battle on the AYSO soccer field and those kids sweating and going for it and we almost won and we lost, but it's okay, we had a comeback. Those little bodies, God-given, playing with such joy, doing what they were made to do, working as a team together. You see, so often we just look at the flaws and we say, you know what, I'm no good. And yet, if we could see the way that God sees, we'd see all of these things functioning and working together with purpose and meaning, and we begin to see again that somehow not only should we be glad that we have a body, but that our bodies are somehow mystically joined together with Christ's body if we're part of the church. And all of the implications of what that means. We see the second one, He says, you are the temple, that your body is a temple. And we know that the Old Testament makes such a big deal about what the temple is. It was the center of the center of the center of the Hebrew people's world, community, universe. And that was the place where the Holy Spirit, the the Spirit of God dwelled. And sacrifices were made, artists were implored, intentionality after intentionality in the temple was there because the preservation of God's presence was so deeply meaningful for how this community was going to survive and thrive. And so now Paul in the New Testament is saying, because of Jesus, that's you, messy church, broken church making bad choices. Let me speak to not your doing, but let me talk to your being for a second. Let me talk to your true essence. 
how I see you because of Jesus. You are the temple. And then finally he says, you don't belong to yourself. You were bought with a price. What does it really mean to be purchased by God? What's the significance here? Again, Jesus did something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. He fulfilled the command to glorify God with his body. Perfectly. Even enduring ultimate forms of surrender on the cross at Calvary. And in so doing, he willingly took on our sin bodily and otherwise, and there in its place he is offering his perfection. And so Paul is saying, would you understand what story you're living in? And would you simply let that sink into your being and receive this good news that you are made to be connected to Jesus. And when God looks at you, he views you the same way that he views Jesus as perfect and holy. And yes, yes, I still sin. But when God looks on me, he sees Jesus because of the cross. This means that I am more accepted and loved than I ever hoped and I have a far greater Savior than I could ever imagine for myself. And so the teaching is this. Now that you know who you are, live accordingly. There are just certain things that if you know this truth in your being, you will not do. Will not think to do or desire to do. And as you enjoy the gift of a changed desire, of a healthy desire, and you become more integrated in who you are and more whole and more honest and more truthful in your being, once you understand that, how much you understand how you're loved by God through his son, Jesus Christ, every decision can be informed by it. As you seek out his wisdom, Above all else, trusting that he knows what is best for you. May it be so in our congregation today as we seek again to know God's wisdom for our lives and for our sexuality today. Would you pray with me? Lord, we receive your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would teach us that you would teach us. You know us. You know us perfectly. You know where we fall short in this department. Lord, you know where we need healing in this department. And Lord, I pray that whatever we brought in here, whatever histories we brought in, whatever weeks we brought in, that it would now be informed in light of your great mercy and love. And may that change us. May that free us. Make us truly free in light of who you are and what you have done. Your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.